You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. In February 2016, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team sued the U.S. Soccer Federation for equal pay and announced that they would not visit the White House after winning the World Cup. Today, we are chatting with Jessica Tillier, the Chief Brand Experience Officer at Re-Inc., a lifestyle brand founded by the four champions and equity fighters from the U.S. Women's National Team, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, and Megan Klingenberg. Prior to working on Re-Inc., Jessica led the growth of the design practice and transformative projects at the innovation consultancy SY Partners as managing director and then as principal. Her client list included IBM, Deepak Chopra, Bloomberg, American Express, and the National Women's History Museum, amongst others. Jessica has contributed to and led workshops with Fast Company, Yale School of Management, and others, and today, she shares her experience of getting into the innovation industry and climbing its ranks. Gender plays a fascinating role in Jessica's story as she acknowledges the role of privilege in her trajectory while recognizing that we have a long way to go in closing the gender gap. She also points to her two daughters as a guiding principle in some of the career moves she has made and the reasoning behind them. Jessica brings a unique perspective to win-win and shares it all in this episode. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So before we get into your background and innovation as a whole, I wanted to congratulate you and your team on the partnership with Michelle Obama's nonprofit, When We All Vote. When We All Vote recently had its first merchandise release, and Re-Inc., the company where you are chief brand and experience officer, launched sustainably made gender-neutral tees, shorts, and sweats in support of the effort to vote. How did this partnership come about, and what are you most excited about with it? So this partnership came about um, through one of our co-founders, who is this amazing woman named Jenny Wang. Um, she's an investor and, and just an incredible person. And she's been developing a relationship with Meredith Coop, who is uh, Michelle Obama's personal stylist. And so we just started this conversation and Meredith um, said that she was putting together this collection that was just about the positivity and the joy of voting. And she wanted to do something that didn't feel collegiate or didn't feel um, political or like other things you've seen. And it's just cool and beautiful. And so when we heard about what she was doing and the other folks that she was collaborating with, we just knew that we wanted to be a part of it. And we were also just so honored um, to be asked to be a part of it. So that's how it came about. And it's just been amazing to work with the When We All Vote team, to work with Meredith, who has a beautiful vision, and obviously to support something that Michelle Obama is doing, because we're all such fans of hers. Yeah, we're big fans of her too at Win Women in Innovation. So um, as I did mention, you are Chief Brand and Experienced Officer at Re-Inc., a gender-neutral streetwear brand, which was founded by some of the members of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. So how did you get involved with the brand, and what do you see as your role in the company? 
So I got involved. I was um, consulting with Deepak Chopra when he was um, he was in a moment in which uh, he had just been offered some uh, investment and was really expanding what his brand Chopra Global does and is able to do. And so he came to SY Partners, which was the company I was at uh, right before Reink. And I had just this amazing one-on-one relationship with him. I just, I love Deepak so much. He is truly a generous, kind, beautiful person. Um, and I, I learned so much from him about uh, uh, meditation and, and well-being. Um, and while I was working with him, he said, you know, I've been in conversations with Megan Rapino, and you should really talk to her. And I, I actually didn't really know that much about U.S. women's soccer. I'm not a huge um, sports fan, <laughs> truthfully. And I had heard her name um, because of some of the work she had done and um, because she was one of the first players to take a knee. But I really didn't know that much more about her. And so, of course, I found out more and I found out what an incredible player and what an incredible person she was. And she just came over to ask my partners and we had a conversation and she said, me and some of my uh, fellow athletes from the team, were starting a brand. We're kind of trying to figure out what it is. And so like the whole background story was after the 2015 uh, World Cup win, which was huge, they realized that so much of their identity was being portrayed through the brands that sponsored them and, and that they partnered with. And, and it was good in many ways. And yet they were so much more than that. And they really saw this opportunity to be true to themselves fully through their own brand. And they also are all such purposeful people that have such a deep desire to make a social impact. And they realized that they could do that collectively and they could do that through a business and a brand in such a deeper focus than they could do individually or with the brands that they partner with. So those two things kind of coming together was what really made them want to start something. And then as they were approaching the next Olympics um, last year, in 2019, they just saw this huge opportunity. And so my role was really in helping them just start to conceive of what this brand could be. And it was kind of a side project that a few of us did at SY Partners, thinking that, you know, it could maybe turn into a real project uh, for for our business, for our company. You know, the nature of startups, it, it wasn't quite right, but I continued just to, you know, advise them a bit here and there. And then um, I had my baby, my second baby, Ren. And there's something for me that happens with, it's my second child, with both of my children. It's just a little bit of a wake-up call of what do actually I want for my own life beyond providing for my children. How do I want to make sure I am providing for myself? And anytime I'm leaving my child, I am doing something that fulfills me deeply. And I just started to realize after Ren that I loved SY Partners. I had just been promoted. There was so much more I had to learn there and so much more I could learn. 
And yet I was really, really called to this opportunity with Reink. Um, and they asked me to come and join um, with them full time. And so I jumped at it. And I, after, you know, I guess like a month of thinking about it, I just kept on coming back to the feeling of like, this is the right thing. And really, I see my role as supporting who they are as leaders. I mean, um, so Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath, and Meg Klingenberg, those are the four players that founded Reink. They're Renaissance people. They could do anything, anything. I mean, Tobin is an incredible artist. Um, Kristen is an incredible incredible CEO, incredible leader. It's crazy that she's also an athlete. I mean, Megan Rapinoe, I I assume at some point we'll be voting for her for office. You know, Meg Klingenberg is like this, just like financial and tech wizard. Like she just gets systems. It's incredible. And so in my role, like I just really want to make sure that the brand that we're creating is as true to their spirit as possible. So you mentioned some of these instincts that you had as a woman and as a mother. How do you feel like they generally impacted the the way that you view innovation and the way that you've advised brands in the past? To me, innovation is a really tricky thing because I think when we hear the word innovation, we think, oh, it's something that's good. But the British innovated by deciding to create tea in India, and that was incredibly painful, um, and colonialism, um, and, and often slave labor. You know, you think about a lot of the practices that helped the United States, um, build financial power and it was all innovation and it was also enslavement of people. So I thought a lot about the idea of innovation. And I think when innovation is used to create just power and income, it's not necessarily a good thing. But when innovation is used to benefit many people and is used through the lens of, of empathy and compassion combined with aspiration and combined with impact, it can be incredible. And I think that's the way that we think about innovation at Re-Inc. is we don't want to be incrementally great. We want to be just actually leaping over what's already been done and finding a new path and doing even better than what we're seeing out there elsewhere. With making our garments, you know, I think I think we all want better made clothes. We want clothes that we know are ethically made. And just the more educated we all become in clothing, I mean, everybody I talk to, that's what they desire. In fashion, you realize that supply chains just haven't been set up in that way. And that is actually a huge barrier to entry is like just figuring out how to create a new supply chain. And then for a startup, it's also incredibly expensive. And for a startup to figure out like, how do we create this completely new supply chain that is environmentally and um, ethically conscious it's incredibly hard, but that to me is innovation. Um, So that's really what we've been trying to do. 
So I'm very curious when you go about balancing all these different um, factors and ideologies that you have, of course, now that you have a brand that you are leading yourself, you have the opportunity to make these decisions. When you are a consultant and you have all the different uh, priorities of the clients or perhaps you're pitching against a different agency, how do you go about balancing those maybe business and revenue objectives with innovation as you see it? It's been a real gift to be in a startup and to be in something that is so small, we can fail. You know, I think that what's really tough in innovation and in um, consulting is we work, we work with companies um, that do have this culture of try things and it's okay to fail. But when you're a consultant, you actually can't really fail. Because if you fail, then your your client also fails. Um, and I just remember when I was a consultant, I really struggled with that because I wanted to try new things that I wasn't sure if if they would work or not. Um, you know, often we were advising our clients on something that would have been a multi million dollar investment or concept. Um, so I think one thing, just thinking back, that I learn to try was experiments and being really, really explicit with our clients that this was an experiment. Taking an approach with clients of being really clear about what are the moments for like testing something or trying something new and building a case for it in a low stakes way is really the best way to try something that is what I would consider to be like ethical innovation. I worked with, I've worked with lots of leaders at the C-suite. They're all such good people. Like, you know, everybody I've met that, that I've had the privilege of working with is just kind and compassionate and has just great values. And then when you are a business leader, it's hard to translate that to a company that um, is made up of maybe 600,000 people around the world, if something goes wrong, that's 600,000 people that all lose their job. So I think that is part of what kind of gets in the way of true innovation and definitely what gets in the way of like, okay, we're going to move away from this supply chain that we've used for generations and we're going to move to this new supply chain. So, you know, I think that there is moments in which innovation kind of has to be incremental. And then there's other moments in which you have this incredible opportunity to experiment, to try something new, and then to show your clients or not even show your clients to really work alongside your clients to believe in this like brave new future and then just go for it. You know, the doors open and just go for it. It's tough, though. There's so much tension in all of that. Of course, now you are on the other side of that, as I mentioned. Uh, you know you're working in the apparel and lifestyle industry. So how do you envision innovation in this industry? And how are you bringing your background and in innovation to this new role? I think the biggest thing that I'm able to bring from my, my previous roles is this systems thinking and ability to see the way in which many different components of an idea or uh, of a challenge or an opportunity can interact. 
there's so much that I'm learning every day. And I really love that feeling of discomfort in a way and like being on the edge of my seat and more bring kind of the feelings I learned of SY partners of compassionate capitalism and, and, um, and really open heartedness and, and listening and bringing that almost more than any sort of like frameworks or processes or systems. Amazing. So looking back a little bit at your time at SY Partners, you were a managing director and then a principal there. SY Partners is a top innovation design firm where you started out as a designer and spent the last 10 years before joining Re-Inc. So how did you get started with SY Partners and what kept you going within the company? So I went to design school and I guess within about six months of design school, I realized I really didn't want to be a graphic designer. <laughs> um, you know, I just realized that design for me was, was a lifestyle. It was a mindset. It was something that I wanted to bring to many things and I wanted to apply. And I so deeply practiced visual design and graphic design for um, four quarters, I guess, um, or eight quarters in total. And so I, I lived and practiced design. And yet, and then when I would go and I would visit design firms, I would just realize like, oh, designers sit on this floor. And they don't always get to have that seat at the table. I mean, we right now work with Pentagram and I see design they're really, really leading the conversation. But I kind of wanted to be somewhere where it was like, design was just one role of many roles, all together shaping a new future. And the president of my school said to me, you know, you should look at this company called SY Partners. You'd love it. Keith Yamashita is this incredible person, look him up. Um, And he gave me this book that Keith had written. Um, And I just immediately fell in love with this whole way of making and creating and thinking. And I thought, oh, you know, that's actually exactly the type of place I want to be at. So I made this list. I really deeply believe in writing things down. Whenever I write something down, it always happens. So I made a list and I remember writing like my top 10 places I want to work. Number one, SY Partners. And so then right after school, I got, um, you know, I got a job at like a digital design firm. And then um, from there, I met somebody and he said, hey, I'm starting this design studio. I want to be like a little SY Partners. Have you heard of them? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm moving to New York. Do you want to come with me and help me start the studio? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so, and I had like, I, I was a new newly graduated grad student, like I had no money, like, and I, and I was kind of, I wasn't ready for New York, like, it was just a crazy moment. And so I moved to New York, and I helped him start the studio. And our first client was Catherine Malandrino, who is just incredible, incredible, incredible designer. From there, um, I went to go work at a startup. And it was one of those things, like, right off the bat, like, I don't, I don't believe in this startup. I don't think that they're going to be successful. And so my mom um, is kind of a hippie and was living in Mexico at the time. So I went to go live and work in Mexico for two weeks with her. And I just got this email out of the blue from SY Partners. 
And they said, um, hey, you've probably never heard of us, but we'd love to talk with you. So I had a conversation. And then like two weeks after that, I was I was at SY Partners. I had the incredible opportunity to always work with Keith, uh, Keith Yamashita, the founder, Susan Schumann, co-founder, and then the leadership team. And I just spent 10 years kind of just trailing them and trying to learn as much as I could from them and trying to learn as much as I could from the CEOs that I worked with. So you also experienced amazing, tremendous growth there and you became part of the leadership yourself. How do you think you were able to maneuver that and get to that level of success in one of the most prestigious innovation firms in the world? Frankly, part of it is privilege. I knew how to emulate the leaders that I saw. I was seen as somebody that was trusted probably because of uh, what I look like and how I talk, you know? So I, I, I really want to acknowledge that I think for any of us that quickly rise up into leadership roles, part of it really is privilege. But in other ways, I worked really hard. I think I just love to lead, you know? And so I, I look for opportunities in which kind of looking for those moments in which there's a void and having the willingness to just step into that and say like, let me help. I remember um, I was working on this pretty huge project um, for IBM and the strategy director left. And at that point, I think I was a senior designer. And I said, I, I can finish writing this proposal. And so I just wrote the proposal and I, you know, I asked for help and I, and I got feedback, but I made sure that I was really kind of holding on to it and leading it. And, um, and then I, I led the client experience and I was definitely the youngest person and the most junior person in the room, but I didn't ever let that stop me, you know? Um, yeah. And that was something I think that probably catapulted me in a lot of ways. Um, but I also, I also have always been around people that have said like, you can do that. You should do that. You know, you're a leader. Um, and so, you know, as a mom with, of two girls, I also really think about that a lot of how can I help my daughters really believe in that and help them feel like, you know, you can step into that, but then also help them see ways in which that feeling of I'm allowed to do this, there's inequity in that and there's privilege in that. So for those women who feel like applying to innovation roles and companies has a huge barrier to entry for all those reasons that you mentioned, what types of roles or experiences can you recommend to create uh, an innovation adjacent skill set? I grew up way out in the countryside. Like I had no role models of like women in leadership roles. I grew up in the woods, like just playing outside. I think I developed uh, observation quality and and I like to sort of listen and observe before I bring forth an idea. Seeing those types of things, you know, barriers to entry, what did you do to get over that? Or what sort of natural skill sets have you developed is one way, like that's innovation, like all of those things, like figuring out like how to build um, a fort in the woods by yourself, you know, like that is then what 
you're trying to do in a boardroom. And just remembering that whatever that is that you did at some point um, can be applied. I really believe in a journey, not a career. And I think the minute you get too tied up into my career, my career is supposed to look like this. I was supposed to do that. Why hasn't that happened yet? You just get into this cycle of, of emptiness and hate and loathing. And, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's not healthy. If you see life as a journey and everything is this opportunity and everything is a story that when you are, you know, 95 years old, hopefully you'll look back on and say, gosh, that was like all such an adventure. Then I think that you're in flow and you're on the right track. So anytime that something has started to feel like too set or it started to feel like um, too much of like a career move and not like a joy move or a growth move, I've actually really slowed down and stepped away from it. When people say no to you or when you say no to something, it actually like sets you in on this journey to finding the things that are right for you. Um, and I feel like in the last couple of years, um, as you know, my career has grown, I've actually ended up saying no to things that would have been way more lucrative, that would have like been a bigger title because I just knew like it, it would have been redundant, you know, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't actually have been personal innovation. And that's the other thing I'm always looking for is like, how can I personally innovate for myself and my own life. Would you say that that's some advice that you would give to more senior women in the industry too, and not just those starting out or maneuvering maneuvering their career at the mid-level? So I was actually in this group, this like private group I was invited to of mostly more senior women than, than myself. And it was really, really interesting because in the conversations I had with them, I just heard the same things that I was grappling with. And I just realized, like, I think when you're junior entry level, you think like, oh, the higher up you get, the more you have things figured out. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, just hearing these women really open up, like we're all trying to figure it out. And I remember there was this one woman that had probably a job that so many people would covet. And it looks really great on paper. And she said, you know, like, honestly, this job does not give me life. It does not free me. It feels like a cage. And I'm in it because I feel like I need to have this type of townhouse. And I feel like my kids need to go to this type of school. And she said that. And then everybody else started opening up and saying that same thing. And it was actually like that conversation was right before I decided to go to Reink, which is like a startup, you know, like there's, I believe in it so deeply, but at the time there was just so much unknown. And just hearing that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't have to stay on the track just because everybody else around me is staying on the track. I can step off and I can try something different. And 
we don't have to go out. We don't have to go on this like fancy vacation every year. Like, you know, like there's ways that we can live our lives different. And I have to say, I feel, I feel so happy because I feel truly free in this job. Like this is something that I've chosen it, it, and it chose me, you know, it's, it's something that I would do and not be paid for. Um, and so I think that's the other thing is it's, it's this interesting tension between like women need to earn more money. Um, and I think especially white women, we need to make sure that we're not just saying that we need to earn more money, but we're saying black women, Latinx women, um, and people, you know, we need to represent indigenous women. We need to represent all women saying like, Hey, don't just pay me more, pay her more pay her more first. But at the same time, like, you know, we all need to earn more money. And yet, it can't just be for the money. So figuring out that tension is is really, really important and really difficult. Thank you so much for sharing that. And as somebody earlier on in my career, I do think that this is something I as well as many of our other listeners do and will grapple with. So before I let you go, the million dollar innovation question where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? If I am optimistic, I really do feel like we're living in this moment of, it's a great wave of change. And I need to believe that a more just and equitable future is coming. So I'm actually not 100% sure what our industry is at Reink because we are apparel, but we're also membership um, and we also do media. But I think in general, industries are going to be more of this sort of interesting woven approach. Um, I also think there is incredible demand for purpose and putting, putting people before profit. Um, and I think that is not a fad. I think that's just the way things are going. 5% of our sales always goes to an organization that we want to support and amplify. And I think that is also the future definitely of a sort of like apparel lifestyle category um, in an industry in like the next year. I think in 10 years, like I don't know if it really actually makes all that much sense, especially in fashion and apparel, to have any sort of vision for 10 years out because everything is changing. We're in this moment in which the future is changing every five minutes and people are asking for more and more every five minutes. And so I think for all of us in business and in innovation, we're going to have to grapple with how can we provide something that is great for people within our company and, and out in the world. So for our customers and for our employees. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. 
If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womeninnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.